0: topic for you, isn't it? <laughs> it's distracting for me, too. My freshman year was the best 11 years of my life. <laughs> so, yeah, I was not ready for UTEP. I don't think I still am. Rick Ramirez is, has become a good friend of mine. Um, you heard Ricky pray for him uh, earlier. And uh, when we got the news about multiple family members getting sick and uh, some of them even landing in the hospital and them coming back out of the hospital and Rick remaining in the hospital, it's just, it's just bowled over our family. Uh, personally, it just, uh, I just can't, I just can't believe it. I'm so relieved to hear any good news about it and we got some this morning that's a good thing. Pray for Rick. Um, Melody. Um, My precious uh, daughter-in-law, our baby, Scotty's wife, um, she is pregnant with her second, little Everett. He's due at the end of March. And many of you know that Everett has, uh, you've got the word, Everett has a heart that's so deformed that right now he's perfectly fine in God's miraculous place for infants in the womb. But as soon as he's born, he is not going to live unless they can succeed in life-saving measures and open-heart surgery for him. That's all planned ahead. And our family, we have no idea what's coming. What's, what's the last couple of years been like for you? It's not been easy, has it? And so we have it here in this text this morning. And it lands actually at a, the right time for us. Ricky preached two Sundays ago, and he uh, queried with this question can we really trust Jesus? And immediately the answer resounding is, yes, we can. And again, today the church is filled with God's amazing grace, but it is not perfect, and at times the path that she is on is not easy. Sometimes the trouble and sorrow is great, yet we will see in today's text that God's work, God is at work in it all and will accomplish His plan, no matter What? If I could have you stand with me as we read God's word this morning out of Acts chapter 5. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. Let me catch us up to speed in the context of where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 5. Christ has ascended. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on his apostles, and they began to preach in the mission of the gospel, preach the good news that Jesus has come to save sinners, preach forgiveness, preach repentance to people that so desperately need it, and the church begins to grow immediately in the text. And in this crazy expansive growth, 3,000 are added to their member that day, God Kills two church members in a public gathering, Ananias and Sapphira. It's like a rock your world moment for the church. Everything is going their way, it seems. And Ananias and Sapphira sin so great in God's eyes and so publicly and lie to the Holy Spirit, as it were, to his face, God kills them in the gathering. And now we have our text today. The end of that section is verse 11 in chapter 5. Let's begin reading there. Great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Now many signs and wonders were regularly being done, were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico, None of the rest, hear this, these next two phrases, they, they seem like a conflict. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Meaning this massive church growth, as far as the non-believers are concerned, is immediately halted and they will not attend the gathering, at least for a while. Ananias and Sapphira killed, and they will not attend. And yet the gospel advances, and we hear that in the very next phrase in 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And so then, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that if, as Peter would come by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple and at daybreak began to teach. Now, when the high priest came, those who were with them, you have to get caught up in this narrative at this moment, they're clueless. About what's happened. Now, when the high priest came, those who were gathered with him, they called together the council and all the Senate of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. When the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, When the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom he put in prison are standing in the temple teaching the people. Then the captain and the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, brought them and set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name yet. Here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. And God exalted Him at His right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And is, so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. When they heard this, they were enraged. And wanted to kill them, but a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside a little for a little while. And he said to the men of Israel, "Take care that you take care about what you're about to do to these men. For before these days, Theodas rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about four hundred, joined him." He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered so. In the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this is the plan, if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called the apostles, they beat them, charged them. Not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then the apostles left the presence of the council rejoicing. They were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Every day in the temple from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus. As the Christ, another translation, preaching, the Christ is Jesus. You may be seated. let's pray together. Father, I, I pray I pray that the narrative, the story of your word, it's empowered by the Spirit in its declaration, would would ring true in our hearts and that we would be able to hold this story in its volume. There are so many things going on in what we've read. So, Lord, my additional prayer is that you would constrain me, constrain me in my communication this morning regarding this. Superintend the preaching, Lord. If you'd be so merciful that you would superintend the preaching of your word by the power of your spirit present, opening and changing hearts of all of us present. God, I pray that you would be merciful to anybody present that is without Christ and lost in this world. Be merciful and save them, God, at the public preaching of your word. Jesus, may you be exalted again and again and again in this pulpit from now on. All the more, especially now. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So I've sought to try to summarize what I would say about all of this, and it seems crazy that I would try to do this, but here's my attempt. The big idea for the message this morning is the go- the church is commissioned in the gospel of Jesus that will advance in power no matter what. The church is commissioned in the gospel, the good news of Jesus that will advance. It will move on and on and on in power no matter what. So we're going to look at three things that I believe emerge from the text. And they're in these three points. I'm going to give them to you ahead of time to make note-taking easy for you. The church's gospel mission, number one, advances in power. The gospel mission advances in power, but it also advances in opposition, and it advances in suffering. It advances in power. It advances in opposition. It advances in suffering. Let's look at number one. The gospels, the church's gospel mission advances in power. Well, the first observation, if you look at the text, let's do that. Let's let's camp here. Verse 12. Now, many signs and wonders are regularly done among the people, but before you go any further, you can already tell there's power involved. I think the first observation, I think it's good for us to consider regarding this, is that the gospel mission in, it advances in power because it's God's work. It's power, it's powerful because it's God's work. So if you look at verse 12, verse 16, verse 20, and 32, let's look at them, many signs and wonders. Clearly, God's power is at work. Verse 16, The people also gathered from towns all around Jerusalem, bringing the sick. In other words, the word is going out in an amazing way, a powerful way, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. The wording, Luke is not using hyperbole. In fact, the words are familiar, if you're familiar with the Gospels. Jesus in Galilee Many with unclean spirits were brought to him. Many sick, all were healed. All are healed. Verse 20, we hear the command cry of heaven, command cry of heaven is on the scene. Listen to what Ricky was referring to earlier as he read Psalm 29 verse 4. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. And in this case, His voice of command drives open the locked doors of the prison, and he commands them to go in power as well. And in verse 32, as you look down, God's Holy Spirit is given and empowered to those who obey him. In this advance of the gospel, it advances in power. It advances in power such a way it is evident that it is God at work. So what I could have done with this point He's actually just drawn it out really long and just put a period at the end. Like the Puritans. If you are familiar with the Puritans? The title of their messages is like crazy long. It's like a paragraph. And that's like the book title, the message title. Well, if I, this, by the way, this is the Eastside slandered version of a Puritan. If I, if I expounded a little bit on this point, this is what the point should actually say the church is gospel mission advances in power, God's power in such a way that it is clear that God has done it and not man, that God has initiated it and not man, and accomplished it in such a way that it's clear that we did not accomplish this, and it moves us to turn to Him in worship, thank Him, and glorify Him, period. That's the point, The point is God's mission advances in power, but it advances in power to make it clear he's the one advancing the mission. And boy, this is hopeful for you and I. I don't know what your experience it is in sharing the gospel, but if it is up to me and my power in the declaration of gospel, have mercy on anyone I would ever say it to. But the power is his. The joy that you and I have knowing in this mission is that the gospel, in a sense, advances despite us or in all our weaknesses because it is God. It is God doing it. The apostles are not supermen with special universal powers given that enables them to do superhuman acts. These men are, if I could say this, I would be careful with this and not diminish the apostles' special call. These men are just like you and I. But they've been chosen by God, given a mission by God, and empowered by God to declare the life-giving message of repentance and forgiveness and salvation that is in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And so, the church has been given this same call. And in this teaching and preaching that Christ is, a, is, is, uh, is Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, is it superintended by the Holy Spirit Himself? That powerful witness that we hear of in verse 32 the church is commissioned in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it will advance in power no matter what, because it's empowered by God himself. The mission is God's work. But also, it's important for you and I to understand that we are called, that we are called as stewards and messengers in this. Verse 12, look back at verse 12. That's why I told you you'd want to hold on to your Bible, because we're going to go down to verse 12 again. By the hands Of the apostles, these miracles are being done. This is not saying these men had special power to do this. It's clear it's God's power. But what is clear is by the hands of the apostles, it means that God will work through His church, through His disciples to accomplish this uh, this mission. We are simply, if we can say it that way, stewards and messengers taking care, Declaring that which belongs to another, but also delivering the good news that Jesus is the Christ. God's power, by the way, is the message itself. That which we deliver, not only does it not belong to us first, it belongs to him first, is it's delivered, and that message has the power to save. How will they not believe unless they have heard? And how will they hear unless it has been preached? But we know in the end, God is the one that is saved, because the message itself is empowered by God. We don't have that power ourselves. It's His message, it's His power. Third, little third, I don't know how you do your notes, like little I, two I, now three I. God's power is revealed in the advance of the mission in such a way that it's clear that He's the one advancing this. And I said this a minute ago, but it's worth repeating. Because of the God exalting nature of the text. Because if you and I begin to feel like that we've got this power, then we diminish the power of God that's so evident in men that Paul would say, when I came among you, I came in weakness. He makes another we were so weak, we were were so bowed down even to the point of death. That's the apostle's speech. In our text today, we have signs and wonders, divine, angelic presence in fact, it's right to say this about the text. All the commentators say the same thing. The angel of the Lord is worded that way. It didn't say an angel appeared, but it's angel of the Lord, angel of the Lord, which literally means in this angelic presence, God himself makes himself present and announces to the disciples. He's the one. It's God's voice of command. Ricky's always pointed, pointed, already pointed out this morning, when he spoke, stars existed. When he spoke, the planet began to spin, much less come into being. There's real locked prison doors that are opened by this power. The Holy Spirit witnessing and empowering it all. He is the one advancing it. He is the one giving strength to continue one. And so we hear the apostles in their own cry to the Lord in verse 4. This is a spirit-filled prayer to the Lord. That they would pray, they prayed that God would reveal his power, perform signs and wonders, and he did. The Apostle Paul would say, God did it in such a way that we would give honor to him in these words in 1 Corinthians 2 3 through 5, so that your and my faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. We're grateful that He moves powerfully in our midst, but we're grateful it's Him moving because there's real power. Church's gospel mission does advance in power, but we have been prepared by this because of what's coming. The gospel mission also advances in opposition. So it's good to know. Anchor yourself in this first point. The gospel mission advances in God's power so now when we consider it advances in opposition, then it grounds our feet out. Verses 17 and numbers of text following, particularly verses 21, our text makes it clear. God has commissioned us in this amazing gospel mission, and he knows that opposition will come, and so he calls for the church at that voice of command after setting them free. I don't know exactly where they're standing, but put yourself there just for a moment. God has appeared and has pulled you out of a locked prison. I didn't say this is the first message, but I'm, it says the public prison, making it very clear. From the facts, they'll be able to research this. It was real. But in my mind, it's also helpful to realize this is where all the guys with the tats doing push-ups in the corner of the room staring you down. And now the apostles are thrown. But these are just like tax collector guys. They're just like normal IRS dudes thrown in the public prison along with them, and God appears and rescues them out of the prison. And he says this, go and stand. So opposition is coming, and so his first call is to go, go right back to where you were preaching, but stand. The word in the original language is stand firm. Hold your ground. And the effect of this command carries with it the need to be ready to be opposed Not simple defense, like kind of be ready for anything. You will be opposed. Go stand is the sense of the text. Go stand and stand firm. It's not a simple defensive stance, but it's a readiness of the heart and the will and boldness in action. And God has called us to this. He's called these men to this. And maybe another way to word this is it's a firm and humble resolve of our will submitted to God's will. It's a firm, humble resolve, a firm, humble resolve. It's not that, yeah, man, he, he's with us and we, we, we got this. I bet if you went to the apostles, I'll bet you most of them would say, no, actually we used to say that phrase before Jesus died. We got this. Jesus, I'll, I'll go with you to death, is what Peter would say. And I believe Peter wholeheartedly. I'm not diminishing Him personally in any way. I'll bet Peter thought, that day I will go anywhere with Christ. And Christ had to tell him, you won't. You can't. We are often caught off guard or turn tail and run from conflict. I don't know what you're like. I've avoided conflict like the plague ever since I was born, probably. The only fish fight I've ever been in was with a girl a foot taller than me. And I was in the fifth grade. She was probably in the third at Rusk Elementary School. It's probably in the annals of Rusk, the day Tom Wilkins went home crying. I swung at her and missed, and she threw me into a chain link fence. She's a large girl. I mean, hi, she was big. And I went home crying. Mom had to drive me back two blocks. That's how far I lived from the school. She drove me back to the campus and said, I don't know if she said, go stand firm. (laughs) Sorry, welcome to my world. We hate conflict. And you and I are called right into it. You're called, we're called right into it. God is not surprised by the way of argument and opposition and hostility in the mouths and actions of men. It started in the garden. Adam and Eve turn on God by desiring to be gods. And when he moves graciously towards Adam, In the garden, he calls out, Adam, where are you? And Adam's first response is to charge and accuse God Himself to His face. God is not surprised by opposition. And what He's called us to in the mission of the church is not a surprise to Him. But you and I may be surprised by it. And so that's why He says, go stand firm. There's opposition coming. The opposition is great and certain. Acts four twenty five through twenty six. So leading up to this, in the gospels, in this prayer of the uh, sorry, in the uh, apostles' prayer about needing power from the Lord, listen what they say. Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. God is familiar with opposition. go stand firm in the gospel also because what we're going to face is great evil that's coming go through redemptive history i in a way that feels like i'm bearing bad news it's going to get bad for us the church because it always went bad for them as the church advanced not ultimately bad but very bad Note the depravity of the enemies of God and his kingdom, belonging to the kingdom of this darkness. Jesus' harshest words for Sadducees and Pharisees in the gospel was a means to say, you think you're clean and can be saved. You are not clean. You need to be cleaned. You belong to your father the devil, is what he will tell them. The evil that the apostles face right now in this narrative is real. These men are jealous. Does it ever go well when we're jealous? It doesn't. There's actually a bookend on what they're doing. They're filled with jealousy, verse 17. We know from the wider telling of the Gospels it's because their very way of life and power and strength is being completely undermined by this message of Jesus. Oh, the message of Jesus' sovereignty and holiness is still being declared in the gospel. But Christ comes on the scene. And even what the, the apostle declares in the preaching of the gospel is confrontational and necessary for these men. Jesus is the leader, not you. Consider their depravity regarding what was said prior to Jesus, right before Jesus is hung on the cross. Let his blood be on our heads. And now in this text, so warped and deceived, they're like, and you and what you're preaching, you're gonna put his blood on us? These same men, oh, put his blood on us. Put it on us, we'll take it. Are you going to blame us for that? All the while, we know from the gospel they desperately need Jesus' blood to cover them and to save them. But they're not just jealous, they are enraged in verse 33. And when they heard this, they were enraged. So the message of Jesus is wrecking their world, of course. But the original meaning of this word, enraged, means they were sawn through. So cut to the mind. I heard a description of this. It's the anguish of the mind leading to violence. They were enraged, sawn through. The depravity and the black heart of evil is clear in their motives and actions. Self-preservation and murder fill their hearts. They're jealous. They're going to kill them, and James 2 rings true. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. This is the evil that faces the church. The church is commissioned, though, in the gospel of Jesus that will advance in power no matter what, no matter what This is a powerful opposition. It's not simply in the air of disagreement and confrontation that you and I often, that's the way that we feel the opposition right now towards the church. Consider it. Consider social media, consider consider whatever the message is of the world right now to the Christian church on the matter of, of gender, definition, or relationships, and so on. That's just one. The opposition is growing against the church. And it's not just simply confrontational and disagreement. It moves and acts against the church, and it will again, against those who believe and follow Jesus, and it will again. Legal action, life-destroying action, reputation killing, action leading to physical harm, torture, and even death to some. Opposition to the good news of Jesus, though, with that bad news delivered, see providentially what occurs in our narrative again. Maybe you can cruise through these verses if you want to, starting in verse 17. But opposition to the good news of Jesus will, number one, provide further paths for the advance of the message of the cross, and it will, number two, clarify the message of the cross. So the amazing thing in God's sovereign plan is as suffering or as opposition begins to be poured out on the church, the gospel only finds more paths for it to be advanced, and to clarify the message. Consider this, the paths of advance of the gospel in the public jail, in the temple, in the high priest's office, in Israel's courtroom, among the council members, among the officers, among the guards, among the believers and members of the church, among non-believers that are hearing the apostles' message, soon to become uh, believers and members of the church, in the town, in the region, house to house. The paths just splinter. Persecution is radically being poured out on the church beginning in our text that we've read today. Radically. They will; It will be so bad they have to flee to the surrounding region and the gospel advances in those regions. Well, it also serves to clarify the good news of Jesus as well. We find in verses 29 and 32 which is really the centerpiece of the text. One is that clarifying of the good news of Jesus is we must obey God. Jesus is killed on a cross by sinners, but by God for sinners. You're going to put his blood on us and in the message of the gospel is, yeah, his blood is on you. His blood is on me. We've sung the song in the past that I would hear my mocking voice cry out among the scoffers, crucify him. Yet God raises Jesus from the dead. God is exalted to the right hand of God. I mean, Jesus is exalted to the right hand of God. Leader and Savior, King Jesus is declared. Jesus gives repentance. He gives forgiveness. This is all in two verses We are Jesus' witness, and the Holy Spirit is Jesus' witness. And by the way, it says, given to those who obey, that's not a salvation necessarily kind of text, but what it's saying is, I've called you on mission. You apostles, I've called you on mission. When you obey me, I'll pour my spirit out in power on you for the furtherance of this mission. If you're present this morning in the room and you have not believed in Christ, I beg you to believe in Christ because opposition is coming, but it's worse than what you can imagine because God himself is opposed to you. If you're here present you're like, I, I'm wondering about this Jesus thing, keep wondering about it. I'm begging you to keep coming and hearing Christ preached in this pulpit. Go to your Bible, read about Christ because you will find him as your savior in there. And boy, you need to be saved without him. God's unfettered wrath is coming. It will be poured out on the earth. It will be poured out on all this evil that you described. It was going to be poured out on me as I grew up in the church knowing all of this until that night he broke through and said no I'm not unless you repent and believe in Christ and yes I mercifully was today you mercifully can believe in Christ and be saved turn to him turn away from sin place your faith in Jesus and believe believe in him he will save you. Church, if you've been saved, cry out to God for renewal and strengthening for our souls for this time that we're in. Consider how hard it's been. The Ramirez family needs your strength right now and the gospel to rally around them. We have those that have lost dear ones that are present today. They need this strength. We don't know what tomorrow holds. All I know is from redemptive history is we're not going to escape it. The church has not escaped this So the gospel mission does advance in power, but it also advances in opposition. And finally, the gospel church advances in suffering. The suffering is real in our narrative. It In our lives, in the church, together, is going to be overwhelming. It's going to be more than we can handle. The imprisonment is real. There's real charges, real violence. The apostles whipped until their backs were laid open. That's why we slowed down in the reading of the narrative. Verse 40. They beat them. But suffering will not stop the advance of the mission. It's here we're going to find you personally, but together as the church. That it is in suffering that Christ does such a powerful work in us. And he won't use any other means to accomplish this alone. He includes this. In the church, when we suffer for his name's sake, we are moved forward, we are moved toward rejoicing that we have been, quote, counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Verse 41. Every time I've come to the text, I've really really wrestled with this. I I remember times believing that and there was just that private sense of the Lord is with me. He's going to get us through this. But don't let the narrative get lost on you. These men are beat senseless seemingly and left overnight. They're released and they're left overnight to heal. And the next morning we find them preaching. I don't know what I would do the next day after being beaten like this. So it certainly includes the empowerment of God with them to sustain them through the night and to get them to the mission. It certainly includes that. But their suffering has so connected them further to their master and King Jesus who suffered greatly for their salvation and for yours and mine. It's now the disciples begin to taste of what Jesus drank fully. They only taste it, but Jesus drank fully in this suffering. And it so connected them that it could be described that they could rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer. It's not like, all right, we're the band of the way, as it was called back then. We're we're the Christians now, and so of course we're going to suffer No, for the believer and for the church, suffering can do such a personal work to connect us to the suffering of Jesus. And the church finds her very identity further galvanized in Jesus through suffering. So certainly being added in, certainly growing in sanctification, certainly being empowered by Christ to see him clearer and clearer and clearer, suffering does a unique work. In the believer's life to galvanize us into Jesus all the more. And we're gonna need it. The apostles will go on and suffer in indescribable ways. Kent Hughes commenting on this in chapter five. About the angelic liberation as he refers to it. In Acts 5, he writes, The angelic liberation was not only meant to free them, but to encourage them and us. The apostles now knew that God could deliver them from the world's clutches anytime, anywhere. In the church traditions, if the church traditions are correct, he'll write, Matthew. Knew the reality of angelic presence when he suffered martyrdom by the sword. And so did Mark when he died in Alexandria after being dragged through the streets of the city. Luke experienced the same. When he was hanged on a large olive tree in Greece. It was John's realization when he was scarred in a cauldron of boiling water and lived out his days banished on an island. So it was with Peter as he was crucified upside down in Rome. James as he was beheaded in Jerusalem. James the last when he was thrown from a high pinnacle and beaten to death with a club. Philip when he was hanged. Bartholomew when he was scourged and beaten until he died. Andrew when he was bound to a cross and preached at the top of, top of his voice to to his persecutors until he perished. Thomas, who was run through with the lance. Jude, who was killed by executioner's arrows. Matthias, who was stoned and then beheaded. Barnabas, who, was su- who suffered the same fate at Solonica. And Paul, who was beheaded in Rome. And on and on and on it goes. Kent Hughes writes this. All these died knowing that God can deliver his people any time he wants. Scripture says that when waves of persecution or trial come, God can deliver us if he so wills. No matter how dark, please get his last comment, no matter how dark or oppressive the wave, he can rescue us. Believe it. Believe it. Charles Spurgeon, in a message titled, Happy Christian. (laughs) Sorry, that is just a, it just seems like a conflict right now in my mind. The Happy Christian. The worldling blessings, the worldly blesses, excuse me, the worldling blesses God when he gives him plenty, but the Christian blesses God when he smites him. He believes him to be too wise to err and too good to be unkind. He trusts him where we cannot trace him, looks up to him in the darkest hour, and believes that all is well. Church, trust him where where we cannot trace him. Look up to him in the darkest hour and believe all that is well. It does not mean that there isn't any anguish or pain or tears or suffering that is real, but it does mean that in these times we are enabled to trust and believe all is well. We're going to sing here at the end of the service, His mercy is more regarding our sin. and It's written by Papa and the songwriter and writers and those that are informed by this are informed by a message preached by John Newton. And emerges this amazing song that we've been singing. And in this song is this phrase, Our sins are many, His mercy is more. What a great hope for the sinner. Our sins are many, His mercy is more. And uh, cr- crazy enough, I would try to like add this to the song. But I think in the same stead, in, in our times of anguish, we could add this frame to this song. Our sufferings are many, and His deliverance is more. Our sufferings are many. His deliverance is more. John Newton writes this. Are not you amazed sometimes sometimes that you should have so such a hope that poor and needy as you are, the Lord thinketh, thinketh of you? But let not all you feel discourage you. For if our physician is almighty, our disease cannot be desperate. And if he casts not one that come to him away, why should you fear that we're desperate, without hope? So church, let not all you feel discourage you. For if our physician is almighty, our disease cannot be desperate. And if he casts not one that come to him, why should you fear? If you're here this morning, come to Jesus and believe. You know, the effect of the church on the church is if the Lord is able to save like this, if he is able to manifest his presence and literally set us free from prison, then he is able to save us, to free us at will from anything. John, if I could have you guys come up the band, please. You know, sometimes when we preach, we haven't quite got there yet. I remember Gloria Morales, long, 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 okay, I'll stop there to not draw out her age, came up to me when uh, our kids were little, and I remember preaching during that time, and she looked me in the eye. She says, it's different now that you have kids, isn't it? I said, oh, yes, it is. And I think sometimes when we study suffering we get it to some degree, but when we suffer, then we get it. And for me personally, some of the most precious truths about the nature and character of God that have been, have been etched on my soul forever, but it's been done so to the point where I can actually say afterwards and looking back, it was worth it. I would never, I would never go back and ask for the suffering again. But what the Lord accomplished through it. You know, um, when I was preparing this message, what kept coming to my mind was the death of my dad at 49. If you know me, a period of time you know that my testimony about believing in Christ is in that very time frame of my dad's death. My rescue occurs at the time my death, my dad dies. So I was recounting the weekend for the week that dad died. He died on Father's Day, 1984. And I remember being in the hospital room with Lisa, who would be my wife one day, when dad breathed his last. I remember... Uh, being at the funeral home. What a nightmare it was. I remember the memorial service out at Jesus Chapel East as the pastors from our church. And the great church graciously opened their doors to us there because of the number of people that came. But you know what I don't remember? I don't remember his gravesite. It occurred to me. Something happened. It was so bad. It just got blocked out in my memory. I don't have any recollection of it, not a minute. I don't remember the ride, I don't remember the grass, I don't remember any of it. I do remember the tombstone, that was probably a visit later, at a rest line on Dyer. You know, the suffering can be blindingly difficult. But in the end, you're going to see in the church, it's worth it. So if you're in that right now, you need us to rally around you to encourage you to hang in there, to not give up, for us to cry with you. And if you have been there, you have a message that you can deliver, that you couldn't have delivered before you got there, so deliver it. Our application is pretty straightforward from the text. In my mind, there's so many things we could apply. But one is, obey God rather than men. The wave is coming. I don't know what it's going to be, but the day is going to come for you and I. Maybe for some, it already has to some degree. Obey God and not men. Let that be anchored in the clear revelation of the word, not some strange political belief. Obey God according to his word and not man. We're going to have to mission will advance. But also get back to it. Obedience that is met with God's power. He's called us to obey in the text. The Holy Spirit will empower us if we obey him. So go right back to it. You've been knocked off. You're on your heels. God calls you right back into the mission. You now have a powerful testimony that points to Christ and him crucified that now you're beginning to taste of that he was crucified. So go right back to it. And finally, never give up. Never give up in it. Maybe is a better way to say it, verse 20. Stand firm, hold your ground. But also in verse 42, every day do not stop preaching that Jesus is the Christ counting it worthy to suffer, get back to it no matter what suffering may come. Suffering is worth it because Jesus is worth it. The church is commissioned in the power is commissioned in the gospel of Jesus. It will advance in power no matter what will come. You stand with me. Let's pray. so God I pray that your word would accomplish what it has declared that we would be empowered by you for the message and the good news of Jesus to be declared to our world so desperately needs it that the church would be strengthened by you by your power you would come and fill us with your presence and your spirit even now so that we would go again right back out into it and encourage and to help and to preach the good news of Jesus. God, I pray for anyone that's present this morning that is rocked by suffering, rocked by opposition. Strengthen them. Jesus, receive glory. Be exalted for the preaching of your word. Let's Let's sing sing this with Hope Hope Church. Church.